Making the community a healthier place is always at the forefront of what we're doing at the Portage Health Foundation. And one of the ways we're doing that is with the PHF podcast. I'm Michael Babcock, and I host this podcast where we tell the stories of the people, organizations, projects, and events that are focused on improving the health of our community. From meeting the people behind the scenes at our farmers markets, understanding more about our local education, emergency services, nonprofit, or criminal justice systems, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Simply search Portage Health Foundation. Welcome to Copper Country Today. I'm Grant Ducetto. This week's program brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. You can learn more about them at phfgive.org. My guest is Lynette Weber, ranger for the Keweenaw National Historical Park. Lynette, thank you very much for stopping by and talking to me on the radio. My first job was at a radio station. Oh yeah? Where at? WUPY back once upon a time when it was... W-U-P-Y-W-C-U-P when I answered the phone. <laughs> so there were two of them at that time under Skip. So you're a local? Yeah, I grew up in Ontonagon. Is that the way for most of the staff at the Keweenaw National Historical Park? Um, I would say that a, a goodly portion of us was either originally from the area or moved here prior to employment at the park. Mm-hmm. There's a common misconception that park rangers are kind of shipped around um, and assigned to different duty stations, but really you have to apply to go to a certain location. Sure. And so it's a lot of people might apply to a lot of locations, but that's not quite the same as being assigned such. So let's talk about the history of the historical park. It was founded in the early 1990s, correct? Yeah, it was after a pretty lengthy grassroots effort um, with concerned citizens hoping to bring together something of our heritage to move us forward into the future. And so I've been to a couple of the other cultural National Historical Park sites, like, say, Gettysburg. And this one seems to be just different in the fact that not everything is in one spot. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. Uh, I explained to a lot of visitors that you've probably already noticed by the time you've arrived at our visitor center that we're not a traditional model of a park. You don't drive through a gate and pay an entrance fee, and now you know you're there, you're in the park, and this is all federal. Um, Instead, we work with our communities, um, a number of partners, and within municipalities and private owners within the two park units to tell a broader story and still be a living, breathing community. And as far as I know, the village of Calumet itself is essentially all part of the park, correct? Well, what's within the boundaries of the village certainly is. Uh, A lot of people kind of generalize Calumet, but there is a very specific and fairly small acreage uh, that's actually the village proper with a lot of townships surrounding it. Mm -hmm. And then on top of the village, you also have the, the different heritage sites. And I believe we're up to 23 in total? Well, we have 21 heritage site partners, but they operate more than 30 historical sites, museums, and experiences throughout a a four-county area, uh, primarily in Houghton, Keweenaw, and Ontonagon counties. But there is a heritage site, the Hunka Homestead Finnish Museum in Baraga County, and that's in Baraga Township. Um, So they're able to tell the stories in the places where they happened, and this is very much about the sense of place, which is very important to most people about the Keweenaw. If you love the Keweenaw, it's something about the place. And so expanding upon what's happened in those places really can help you get to the whole of the story. Um, It's really important, I think, to be able to tell the story in the places where it makes sense rather than gathering all those stories together and just putting them in one visitor center and calling it good. 
Now, those sites, have they been with you essentially from the beginning, or have you picked up some along the way? Well, the Heritage Site Program has a kind of an intriguing history that it would be better documented in the future. It would be very nice, I think, for all of us. Um, but it operated under another name until around 2004, 2005, when the current system was first established with the Keweenaw Advisory Commission, which is our legislated permanent commission to work with the park and the community. Uh, and most recently, we had two additions that were already very valuable parts of the heritage story here, but were not acknowledged as sites in particular. And those are the Carnegie Museum of the Keweenaw and the Michigan Tech Archives right here in Houghton. I was going to say the Carnegie Museum is a couple blocks down the road. Yeah, and they're back open for the season uh, with Thursday hours, and they have a number of exhibits. The really neat thing about the Carnegie is that they host traveling exhibits more than having a permanent thing, so there's always something new to see, even for community members. What's the process look like to become a heritage site? Our partners vary from state parks to nonprofit organizations, um, their universities, and their for-profit businesses, and so the process can really vary. Now, as a ranger at the park, are you mostly in Calumet, or do you tend to kind of, uh, I guess, drift or float between the different sites? Well, it has really varied depending upon our staffing and what we've been able to do with our heritage sites from year to year. I have spent a lot of time at festivals at our partner sites, providing a ranger booth or additional experiences. Some sites I personally have a closer connection to than others, so when we're at Old Victoria for a celebration, I'm able to offer on-site interpretation as well as support for the heritage sites. And do you do any research as well, or is that a different function for a different part of the, the park? Well, we're expected to do a research on our own programs um, as park rangers. We're expected to, kn to know the resources. Sometimes I've taken it a little bit beyond that, and I've been working to try to uncover individual stories a little bit more. Um, cemeteries and genealogy are kind of my personal passion, so I've extended that into finding micro-histories or histories of a specific person or object or family rather than the greater histories that we learn out of our history books that contextualize what that experience would have been like for people. So since the park has reopened the Visitor Center and that over in Calumet, I've noticed that there have been several tours that have restarted. Why don't you talk a little bit about the different options? Okay, well, right now we are offering three weekly tours, and they are on Tuesday evening. We're offering a Calumet-themed tour for the month of July. It's geology. Uh, for the month of August, it will be archaeology. And for the month of September, we'll be moving over to Lakeview Cemetery and doing a cemetery walk. Um, that's Tuesday nights at 6 p.m., and for July and August, they'll be starting outside the Calumet Visitor Center at 98 Fifth Street. On Wednesday evenings, we're offering a tour in the park's Quincy unit of the Quincy Ruins, and that focus can also vary. We're expecting a special guest, Chuck Pomazal, who is an engineer and worker with the Quincy and Torch Lake Railroad, again, I believe on the 23rd. And so that'll be a really great opportunity to get inside the roundhouse and see the restoration that's happening with the trains there. And all that is happening in the evening, correct? Maybe a different day no, of the week, this but is, it's all in the This evening. one's Wednesday, and it's 6 p.m., and it begins outside the gift shop at the Quincy Mine Hoist Association, which is one of our partner sites, but also really does a great job of interpreting the Quincy unit of the park. 
And then on Fridays at 1.30 p.m., we have an afternoon walk of Calumet. And the themes vary on that walk, depending on which ranger winds up giving it. Um, I offer two, and they are ghost signs, messages from Red Jacket, which is about the paintings that are fading on the sides of buildings, and some architectural clues to things that took place in the past as well. Um, and then I also will be offering Missing in the Copper Country, which is going to be a kind of a revival, which is timely right now because we are anticipating receiving the Missing in the Copper Country book next week, maybe even this weekend. And what is involved with Missing in the Copper Country? Well, Missing in the Copper Country has become a truly multi-platform, multimedia program um, that involves re-photographing a historic photo, basically standing in the same place and trying to get the same angle and imposing what's missing from the historical photo onto the landscape today to really give the viewer a perspective of where exactly in the current landscape history took place. Uh, which can be hard to see in these black and white photos, particularly when nothing is super familiar anymore. And this started out as a social media series, and it spawned about 150 original posts with re-photography and uh, research into the buildings and locations. A lot of that was accomplished with the assistance of the QNA Time Traveler, which has great Sanborn fire insurance maps, which helped me to uh, place a lot of the buildings in their space and time. Uh, that expanded to include a program working with youth in the Grace Project Grace program with Michigan Tech, which was a GIS-based internship, and they were able to create story maps so that a user on their phone could basically have an app to explore both the Quincy and Calumet units through these historic re-photography. Um, and the photos themselves were an intriguing process to gain. I was able to get photos from our partners, from the historical societies of the various counties in particular. Um, and a lot of the research was just initial on my own, and I was able to find community members who had further information. And even the first Facebook posts uh, would often gain new information and allow it to be enhanced for the next people. So a lot of community feedback. Some folks were calling it their Saturday morning time machine and the like. And I guess that inspired my supervisor at the time to submit me for the National Freeman Tilden Award, which is a Park Service Award for Excellence in Interpretation and Education. Which you won in 2016, correct? I did, yes. I was fortunate to gain the Midwest Regional win, and they sent me to a conference where I was surprised to learn that Missing in the Copper Country, with all of its historic photos and community involvement, had won the National Freeman Tilden Award. Now, the photos themselves, are they mostly within the Calumet Village boundaries, or do you really go all the way across the peninsula? Well, I covered wherever I could find really good quality photos that reflected something that used to be there that's no longer there, that was from an angle, really, and that was important, from an angle that I could achieve. For example, if it was a photo taken from the third story of a building that's no longer there, uh, I can use it for reference, but I'm not going to be able to get just quite the right spot safely mm -hmm. to be able to recreate that photo. <laughs> you can get a really big pogo stick. Right, right. Something like that. The <laughs> selfie stick of all selfie sticks. <laughs> 
So as far as the different heritage sites, do you find that most people kind of tackle certain ones, or have you seen people try and make a go at all of them maybe within the same year type deal? Uh, it can be really a challenge, particularly if you don't have a long visit plan to the Keweenaw Peninsula because these are spread about four counties, and they all are independently owned and operated, many by volunteers, and they maintain their own schedules and set of hours. And so it, it can really be challenging, but we're very fortunate in that this year we can already say that all of our heritage sites, with a single exception, which also serves as a bed and breakfast, are open for public visits this year. Because I've been to a couple of them, including the Quincy Mine, just uh, July 5th. It was the day after the 4th of July, and it was very busy there. They were doing quite well for themselves. Yes, it's, we've actually found it to be very busy season in general. We've been hearing reports of that, although no official numbers yet from a number of our partner sites as well. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's been really nice. I think everyone's excited to be able to be back. Uh, and it really depends on what people are looking for and where they booked a room, where they end up visiting. If you're headed out in one direction, we'll suggest you stop in uh, sites that you may not have considered that are along your path. But frequently people have a reason when they're coming up here, there's this site they want to see and it might have to do with connections to their own heritage or their own interest in geology, for example. Uh, and the, the Quincy Mine hits a lot of those check marks on its own. And it seems like there's a large variety in the different types of sites. The Chassel Heritage Center is going to be a very different experience than, say, the Quincy Mine or the Delaware Mine. That's right. They're all different experiences. We have uh, Michigan's Mineral Museum at the A.E. Seaman Mineral Museum at Michigan Tech, and that's a very curated museum experience, whereas if you visit, say, Old Victoria or the Hunka Homestead, the idea is to not have a museum curated experience for the viewer, although they are indeed very curated internally. Um, so you can go underground, you can go rappelling at the Adventure Mine, you can wander about at your own pace at the Delaware as well as taking the Quincy tour. We have heritage sites that offer trains, not just like at the Quincy where you can watch the restoration taking place at certain times, but at Houghton County where they have operating rides from time to time. Um, there are some really, really great research opportunities available at the Michigan Tech Archives and the Finnish American Heritage Center. Uh, if you're interested in some kind of your own family past here in the area, the Michigan Tech Archives is a great place to look into. I believe they may still be taking appointments, so I would give them a call first. Um, then there's miles and miles of trails, uh, some of them particularly related to the copper story at Porcupine Mountains Wilderness State Park. Fort Wilkins has wonderful trails, and at Central Mine they have a nice trail through a ghost town. Um, and so some of these sites, like Central Mine, don't even have to really be open for you to have a significant part of the experience there, although if you want the full-on Central experience, uh, coming up on July 25th will be the annual Central Mine Reunion and there'll be services at that Methodist church once again. For your tours of Calumet, how big of a part does the architecture play? It's just so different when you look at buildings that were built in the late 1800s, early 1900s compared to today. It, it really, it's a different feel to them. Yeah, it really depends upon the tour theme. Um, with the Ghost Signs tour, I actually focus on some really minor architectural details at times to tell a bigger story about what was once there. 
Um, but I think that it's really hard to go through downtown Calumet without some thought about the architecture, particularly noticeable to people from out of town are the sandstone buildings with the red hue it almost gives to the entire community. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the Houghton County uh, Historical Museum, and that's over in Lake Linden, which has quite the historical district itself. Yes, it does, and they have a great, I hesitate to say great, but very informative exhibit right now about the loss to fire um, in the history of the community, and that it's struck a particularly relevant chord this summer. You mentioned earlier that you like to focus on cemeteries and finding a particular story within a cemetery. How do you go about you know, coming up with that process? How do you decide what person you're going to do research on? Well, it, it has really varied. Um, a lot of the times I've been interested in a certain person and have been able to learn where they're buried, and so it works in reverse as well. But a cemetery, and particularly a gravestone, provides something tangible that if you want to talk about a person and um, you can't point at their house anymore and so much has changed on the landscape, there's still something tangible that this person lived. And that really helps to tell those broader stories about uh, people's lives in the community. And I would guess that you probably uncovered some stuff that would have been lost to history without somebody looking into it. You have all the people who come in from you know, various parts of Europe to work in the mines, and they may not even speak English for most of their life, and they may not have family that really came over here with them, and, you know, here they are, resting, you know, eternally here in the Keweenaw Peninsula. There are some real mysteries out there, uh, particularly with the different ways that names were spelled at the time. I can't, if I can't find something about someone, I don't confidently say there's nothing about them, because it can be very challenging. Uh, But sometimes most surprising have been the stories of uh, American-born people that we've found in the Copper Country. For example, uh, Asa Jeffrey was a man of Native American and African descent who grew up in Connecticut and in 1849 on Tanagan in an election that was later disregarded. He was elected co-director of the poor. Um, So that's a really unusual story to be finding up here and not being told and so it's interesting to just wonder what other stories might be out there the historical park is obviously connected with isle royal you share some administrative staff that kind of stuff do you find that the people who are interested in your park are also interested in isle royal or is it a completely different uh, kind of uh, demographic Well, we share more in common than administrative staff. We actually um, share the same rock formations in many ways that dip underneath Lake Superior, and we share the copper story as well. Uh, So it depends on what people's interests are in going to Isle Royale, but we do find that many folks who are on their way to an Isle Royale ferry have stumbled across our park on the way and are very intrigued. And the, the park itself... It's open during the summer, right? Do you have any winter hours for people who might be up for, say, winter carnival, something like that? You know, it's really hard to predict what what we're going to do over the winter times. Um, We are currently open through September from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Wednesday through Saturday. And moving into October, we will have hours as well. Do you work a lot with the university and the area school districts? Is that a big part of I don't want to say business because that's not the right word, but I will use business. Is that kind of a uh, a large segment of your, your clientele? 
Well, a number of visitors do come and see us from the school, and we do work with our local school districts as much as possible, including with the Copper Traces program, which has suffered as many things have due to the pandemic, but we're looking forward to rehabilitating some of those programs again in the future. For now, we've been seeing visits by um, CLK classes doing summer school and clubs. Obviously, Michigan Tech is known for its engineering side of things, but they also have an archaeology department and the rest. Do you tend to find a lot of collaboration between those two units? Well, I do, but that may be in part because I have my own connections to Michigan Tech as a recent graduate. Well, congratulations. Um, thank you. So within the industrial archaeology department, we, we do have a lot of great historians who are interested in Copper Country history. Um, and I've been working with Gamma Theta Upsilon, which is a geography honor society in the social sciences there, to do some mapping and cleanup of a local cemetery. So it's, it's definitely a great opportunity to have collaboration with such a supportive university nearby. How far away do visitors come from? Do they come from all over the country, all over the world even? They really do. It's not unusual to hear people speaking in another language at the visitor center during the summer months. Um, but I, I would say that the majority are from the Midwest, although I do see license plates from all over. I was behind someone from Florida most of the way here today. And what are some of the reasons that they give as far as why they sought you out? Well, quite frequently they're looking for something uh, with the sense of place. They want some place with waterfalls and trails and what they perceive as wilderness. Um, they want to see that there's mountains in Michigan. Even if they don't technically qualify, that's commonly something that I hear is the people in my family won't believe me unless I take this picture and send it back. Um, frequently, Brockway Mountain and the Porcupine Mountains really get people excited to see such landforms, um, particularly if they're from the lower part of the state. Mm -hmm. And I know the last time I was out at the Porkies, we actually ran into somebody on the trails who was from San Francisco. So. You think of all the natural wonders in the state of California, and they decided to come here instead. Yeah, and it's really been fascinating. Um, I hear a lot of people say that they come up here because the Smoky Mountains are a bit more crowded than they used to be, and they discovered it here. But with the numbers that we're seeing this summer, um, I, I wonder if they're going to continue to see it that way. It's really great to see so many people stopping in and wanting to learn about the history while they're here. And you, so you have noticed kind of that trend that this area seems to be becoming a more premier destination for tourism because it seems like it started with pictured rocks and now it's almost become passe. It's like, oh, you got somebody from downstate has to make their way up to pictured rocks within a couple of years' time because it's just the hot spot at the moment. And it seems like it's drifting westward out, all the way over here to the Keweenaw. Well, I, I don't know that pictured rocks will ever be passe, <laughs> um, but it, it is interesting, I think, that different performing artists and the like who use certain settings are really make an impact on visitation as well, and so perhaps that has brought people to the whole Upper Peninsula in part. And I know we got the, uh, the Gordon Ramsay episode of his... TV show Uncharted is actually airing next Sunday. So it, it does is. seem like history is, is you know, at the forefront. And the Keweenaw seems to be growing in um, recognition, really, not just across the, the region, but across the country. Well, also happening next Sunday on July 25th at 9 a.m. is that Central Mine Reunion at 
2 p.m., you'll find the Friends of Fashion show at the Chassel Heritage Center. So there's going to be a lot going on that day. And a mind reunion and a fashion show, that, like I said, that's quite the variety of different activities that you guys are involved with. Right. So it's a little bit of um, something for everyone, and it depends on what your interests are. But I, I really think that that's one thing that's really special about the Keweenaw is that there are so many experiences available, and they're more authentic because they aren't all organized by the same person. They're independent, and they each offer something completely different from the others. Now, do you guys operate as like a clearinghouse? If one of your sites says, hey, we want to do this on this weekend, maybe you suggest to another site that, you know, this is going on here, so you might not get quite the same audience? Well, I mean, we do have a calendar of events, but for the most part, like anyone else, we look at the, the Keweenaw Convention and Visitors Bureau calendar and try to make sure everything is on there so that anyone who's looking can get some gauge of what else is going on already. And I think that the three events we're talking about actually work really well together because one could attend all three as they're staggered throughout the day. Well, Lynette, we're getting close to the end of the interview here. Is there anything that you want the listener to take away from this discussion and kind of leave in the back of their mind until they maybe do some exploration across the Keweenaw? Well, I think it's important to be ready to find something unexpected on your trip through the Keweenaw and be ready to be a little bit more flexible in your plans if you can build in the time for your trip. Because if you go up the spine of the Keweenaw, you'll see something totally different than if you came across the northern shoreline. The same thing goes if you went along Keweenaw Bay. There's something different everywhere you go, and it's a lot bigger story. This is over um, 200 square miles that we're telling the story. Do you find that a lot of people will find you first and then find the heritage sites second, or is it a case where they may find the heritage sites first and then find the actual historical park second? You know, I think most people at least notice one of the heritage sites before they arrive at the park, whether they've visited others before. Um, but in truth, we've only had a visitor center since 2011. Um, so a number of people who've been coming up here for years still aren't aware that there is a visitor center at the park. But the great thing about these partner sites is that before we had a visitor center even, they were already out there telling the story. Well, Lynette Weber, thank you very much for joining me on Copper Country today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me.